VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, this is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Welcome back. Today, we can officially focus on Euro 2020. Squads are finalised and warm-up matches have begun. England's fringe players, can they make an impact this summer as they did last night. Also, Wales are shown no love in Nice, while Scotland enjoy themselves on the Algarve. We'll also discuss the vacant managerial positions at Everton and Spurs on a bumper edition of the game. To help me through, well, I was going to say all of it, most of it, Tom Roddy and Jonathan Northcroft will be joined very shortly by Gareth Jacob and Michael Grant as well, discussing Wales and Scotland. But gentlemen, how are you? Morning, Hugh. How are you doing? Very well. Um, look, I'm, I'm maybe a pessimistic England fan. Those of you who don't know that will find out very soon that I, I very much err on the side of caution when it comes to talking up England. But I, w- I was encouraged by that, that first game in some respects. Um, as I say, we'll get the latest on Wales and Scotland and their prospects very shortly before we ask about Goodison Park and the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. But that 1-0 win over Austria at Wembley for England last night, Bakayo Saka getting the winning goal, was an interesting one. There are so many routes that you could go down in terms of you know, what we could take from it. But Tom Roddy, I'll, I'll start from you. In terms of what we saw from England, it wasn't exactly an attacking masterclass. Austria really should have scored as well. Do you think that's going to be a familiar story for England going forward? Maybe, but I thought there were elements that were really quite encouraging and the aspects that weren't, like you said, about the the defence and... The uh, I was I was quite disappointed by um, by the the creativity and attack, but to be honest, the, the the that wasn't the team that will be the starting eleven uh, throughout this tournament, and the elements uh, like the the uh, the aspects that were missing with those runs, the darting runs, and the movement, and the players who play between the lines, like Phil Foden and Mason Mount, um, they're 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 not up, they're not joined up with the team yet. So when they do, I think we'll see a more complete team. Um, the the defense maybe is a bit of an issue, but I. Th- think we're we're starting to see a little bit why why Gareth Southgate decided to take 
four right backs or want wants to take four right backs with the situation with Trent Alexander Arnold's injury. It's still a little bit unclear, but we started to see why uh, he wanted to do that because they're not they're not four guys lined up in a row: first choice, second choice, third choice, fourth choice. You've got Kieran Trippier who can play at, at left back. You've got Reese James and Kyle Walker who can play. At, on the right side of a three at the back. And if Harry Maguire isn't playing in that first game, maybe a three at the back is the way forward. Do you agree, Jonathan? Oh, it's in- just interesting listening to that. I mean, I mean, I think Tom's got a, got a good point. Maybe three at the back will be the way forward. I think what, what concerns me is that we're so close to the tournament and we're still asking these questions. We're still not entirely sure exactly how England are going to line up. I watched yesterday's game... Um, pretty much in the same mode as watching England's games of last year. You, you, you know, you see the team not massively tested because it's a friendly or, you know, a, a qualifier that doesn't really count. You see encouraging performances and you think, oh, he could be good um, or he might be good. Um, you see people maybe not so good. And you don't, you don't come away from it with like a clear, clearer picture really of how England are going to line up. I just feel we've been in this phase for about a year to 18 months where almost every game is a, is another little trial. Um, but I was just looking at France, you know, I know, I know you're going to talk to Gary about France and Wales, but I was just looking more at the French team, you know, that's a heavyweight 11 who we know who they are. We know exactly the, the functions of the players. We know the stars of the team. They've been doing that for two or three years, if not four or five years, that, that, that side more or less has been together. And that's those are the teams England are going to have to compete against. Portugal, they're solid. We, you know, again, settled side. Um, England are going to have to find a way to to come up against these these sort of well-honed units. And so close to the tournament, we're still asking a lot of questions. It's partly because Gareth's so open-minded that England have got a lot of young talent, and he keeps trying different people. Um, I just the thing that's nagging me going into this whole thing is is there's, we know there's riches of, of talent, but we still don't know how it all fits together. And last night, I, I, you know, Saka was great. Bellingham was great. Uh, Grealish was good. But do, do any of them start? I'm, I'm still not entirely clear. I completely agree, Johnny. We, ju- we just came off the, um, the Champions League last week and the success of Chelsea. And you sort of, what, what, Thomas Tuchel did there was he got every single member of that squad to buy into this this idea of being part of it but he had a a clear first choice 11 and Gareth Southgate doesn't doesn't have that at the moment and this there's almost this we've we've had uh, last week the 30 players chosen and and that that kind of disappointment of the ones who missed out this week we've had it drop down to the 26 and the disappointment of the ones who then miss out and then going into next week you're going to have that first choice team selected and there are a few members of it who are absolute certainties like Harry Kane and and Harry Maguire if he can if he can start and Jordan Pickford but other than that, there's going to be so many disappointed members of that squad. And that's not a great way to, to start the tournament, really. See, this is the thing. I, I think I've said on the podcast before, England at a major tournament, we will always go into that first game. No one will really know exactly how or who is going to play. 
I don't know why, but it seems to be a, a cultural thing. I think one big one big issue is, and it's interesting that you mentioned Thomas Tuchel versus Pep Guardiola in that Champions League final, because I think international football, where you don't have as much time with the players and you see them every few months, means that a bit like Wales, a bit like Northern Ireland, if you look at Euro 2016, you pick a style of football, you play almost every single game in that way. And when players are out injured or they lose form, someone comes in, but the style is set. The style is set and you, you keep that style for a couple of years and you just get good at the style. And if a player hits form or a player drops form or a player is injured, that's okay. But the next player comes in and you say, this is the job. This is the role. And everyone else stays with theirs. So you, a bit like Thomas Tuchel in that Champions League final, he only had to make a team selection. He didn't have to choose his tactics. Pep Guardiola went into that game and he chose a new set of tactics with a, a, a set of players who hadn't played together in that way. And, and for me, that is the difference. You know, I, I know this will sound weird, but I always said that Sam Allardyce would probably be quite a good international coach because he was going to have his set style and he was going to stick to it and he wasn't going to deviate and people would know exactly what their jobs were. And also, with, with all the due respect in the world to Sam Allardyce and how he, his teams have played football, I didn't feel like he was going to overcomplicate things either, which I also think helps in international football. And now you see a lot of teams who are playing five at the back who maybe aren't the best teams in the world, but have having some joy because they've got this slightly more defensive setup, work hard, make it difficult for the opposition, and they've got better results off the back of it. England now are trying to play a great style of football. They want to go out there and they want to win competitions. And it's great to think about them in the same ilk as France. Maybe on a club level, they are certainly not in the international way of, of thinking. And maybe they need to think more Northern Ireland than France, to be frank. But um, but look, there's, there's still plenty for us to discuss. That's not the be-all and end-all when it comes to England. Um. I just wondered how much you, you think they can take from that match, Jonathan, given five players who appeared aren't even going to be in the squad for the Euros. Yeah, and I mean, one thing I took was that Jesse Lingard would probably be quite useful if he was at these at these Euros, but of course he's not He's not going to be there. I mean, okay, I've given the kind of slightly negative view of, of all this this, uh, this still trying things out sort of phase, but I guess what, what we did see was, I mean, Jude Bellingham was the, the, the player that, that caught my eye above all others and and yeah he's just one of those that I'm not gonna different player but I remember when Wayne Rooney came on the scene at 17 and 16 17 you couldn't believe somebody of that age was that precocious was was just a man among men you know at, at a boy's age and Jude Bellingham's the same the way he plays the game um you know you look at things like decision making positioning uh temperament um the ability to 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 choose what what particular skill he needs to execute at a particular time, he's got the lot, and you know mentally the, the the kid's incredible. And I thought yesterday he showed that he could actually play that more slightly more withdrawn defensive midfield role, uh, you know, or, or kind of as a box to box eight rather than the sort of slightly more attacking. Uh, function that he's had for England so far. So he, he was a huge success. And I wonder if he even starts if Jordan Henderson's not fit. The other one that, I mean, I, I mentioned him, Bukayo Saka looks to me like another plausible starter, having been a doubt to even make the 26. And I say that because on that left-hand side, Raheem Sterling's not in great form. Marcus Rashford's not in great form. I don't think England can go and play Mason Mount Jack Grealish and Phil Foden. I know there's a clamour for them to do so, but I think I, I, I can't see 
all three working. It'd be a bit like the Aussie idealist Spurs when they you just try to pick like five attackers who are exactly the same. Doesn't matter how good they are, you have to have variety. And I just think they'd all start dropping into the same areas and doing the same thing. So I think you need a more penetrative player in the in, in the front line. And I just wonder if on form Saka's the one a bit like Bellingham, way ahead of his years in terms of football intelligence and mentality. Um, and I guess the, the, the final sort of one was Kieran Trippier, who I don't think many people have spoken about in the match reports today, but he showed us why he's a league winner in Spain and why he was a key player at the 2018 World Cup. I think everyone forgets about him because he got because he went abroad. I just I just thought the class of his performance playing on the wrong side was was superb. And, and again, on form, he probably starts ahead of Carl Walker now that it looks like Alexander Arnold's going to be out. Possibly Reese James uh, if you if you're playing wing backs, but Trippier maybe Trippier even starts on the left ahead of Shaw and Chilwell. So I thought those, those for me were the three big kind of revelations, as it were. Yeah, let's focus in. Uh, I'll start with Bukayo Saka, Tom. But it, it seemed every time England attacked, he ended up in pretty much the six-yard box. I mean, it was just the commitment to get forward and add an extra body in attack, and it was in the end fruitful for his goal as well. But I think there was that that sense of urgency that maybe we've been missing from Raheem Sterling of late. I think he played really well. What do you make of that left-hand side? Bukayo Saka, I think Jack Grealish, as Jonathan mentioned, could be playing off the left, but Sterling and Rashford have dropped in form. We know what great player Sterling can be on his day. Is that a consideration to have a look at, certainly this weekend in that final warm-up game, give Raheem Sterling a start maybe and see what he's got? Yeah, maybe, but I I agree with with Johnny completely on um, Saka because he is... I think, first of all, he's probably the most versatile member of that squad. He offers so much. And also, thinking of a player who could play off that left, we've got to remember this is an international tournament and it's not going to be as as open. Um, it's not going to be the kind of open games that we've seen over the last year. So you need, you need disciplined players, um, which is... I, I think Saka is is so reliable. He, he can play left back. Absolutely, we've seen that. He's not the best left back in the squad, but he can play left back. To have him playing along the left hand side, supporting whoever does, whether that be Ben Chilwell um, or or Kieran Trippier or whoever, then I think it, it adds that little bit of it, it balances out the kind of. Um, way between being too offensive and showing some 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 kind of balance and discipline um and i completely agree with johnny there's there's this 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 feeling that that grealish has to start and foden has to start and mount has to start and and I understand why, because we've seen what they've done over the past year, and I thought Grealish was good last night. I thought he grew into the game, um, but I didn't think he was he was outstanding. I thought I thought the one play I the three Johnny mentioned I agreed with. The other one that that stood out to me that I was particularly pleased to see uh, perform well was actually Pickford. Um, he's had a he's had a difficult time with England, and I thought his 
his ability on the ball was absolutely outstanding. And we, we, you know, if he, if he makes a mistake in the, in the quarterfinals, then who cares how good he is with his feet? But it, it, to have that behind you as a defender and, and the type of football they want to play, I thought it boded really well. And, and maybe, maybe the fact. <laughs> maybe the fact there was this um this uh the, the situation um with nick pope actually it's horrible for any player but it actually might benefit pickford because he he goes into it as the number one i think his mistakes have settled down i think you're absolutely right <laughs> in terms of no in, in terms of his quality with his feet i think you're absolutely right but i still think there's a temperament issue that 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 was pointed out with Joe Hart. I still think he has that element of a um, an overly anxious goalkeeper. Um, there were a couple of times I think he had a shot, pretty tame one that came in, bounced in front of him. Ben Godfrey cleared it, and he just went absolutely ballistic at him for clearing the ball. And it was like, look, the situation's been dealt with. It's out for a throw on. You know, <laughs> there are there are worse things, but it was almost like a feeling that he had to be absolutely perfect. I think Jordan Pickford and maybe some of the criticisms have, have, have got to him, you know, ultimately you need a calm head in goal. Um, and I, he, he seems to be moving that way. I just don't know if he's gone all the way where we, we maybe need him to be because um, look, former England goalkeepers will tell you it's not a, an enviable position to be in. You know, you want to be England's number one, but any mistake you make is not just magnified. It stays with you for the, the rest of your career and probably your life afterwards as well, particularly if it comes at a major competition. So it, it's not a nice place to be for any player. But, um, but, I, but I think if he can calm himself down, he's an infinitely better goalkeeper. And I think that's important too. England's goalkeeping options are starting great though. There's no pressure on him now that Nick Pope's not in the not in the squad. I don't see Dean Henderson's miles away, and 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 Sam Johnson hasn't even haven't hasn't even played. So England are going to have to live with that, and I think they're going to have to live with poor options at centre back as well. Which you know, I mean, Tyron Mings that shouldn't be a revelation to people because you know Mings has got got real qualities of personality and so on, but I think he's got a skittishness about him as well. I mean, there should have probably been a red card for a rugby tackle in the penalty area. I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know if you saw that. The forward made a run yeah. and he just cleaned him out. Someone tweeted that that's even a foul in NFL doing that. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, you know, I think those, those, are the, those are the, it seems weird to say this about an England team that doesn't concede many goals, but it does seem a bit of a time bomb and it has seemed for a long time the, the centre-back and the goalkeeping situations. I mean... I think we have to live with Pickwood's temperament because as he does, as Tom said, have incredible distribution skills and he's ahead of the others. Um, it, it's probably the centre-back scenario with Harry Maguire probably being out or worse still, the possibility of him playing and not being fit at all. Before we move on, Trent Alexander-Arnold and what seems to be a thigh injury, Tom Roddy. Um, I don't know if you've got any any news on it, but... But if he were to exit the squad, do you have an idea on who Gareth Southgate might bring in? I think that uh, we saw, um, when you look at the squad, the place where they're possibly most limited is central midfield uh, in numbers. So the 
probably the most realistic option or the most obvious option would actually be bringing back um, James Ward-Prowse because, I mean, we've spoken about the fact they've got four right-backs, but James Ward-Prowse can actually play right-back. He did it, he did it quite a lot for <laughs> Southampton this year. <laughs> if they need him, if they lose the other three, James Ward-Prowse can do the job. Um but I think uh, I just I was I was I was surprised by Lingard being omitted from the squad this week. Uh, we saw why last night. I mean, his it was his touch for the goal that creates it, um, and it's a it's it's a beautiful touch. And and we saw his his creativity. We saw his character. I mean, he was he was devastated the other night to to learn that he was out of out of the squad so to to then start a game and refuse the option of being offered to go home he showed real character and attitude which we already knew from this season because he barely played a game for a season went to Villa Park with West Ham scored two goals and had a eight nine out of 10 performance and that just set off his season which is why he's here um the the the, the only issue with Lingard is we're talking about how you fit in Grealish, Mount, Foden, Sterling, uh, Sancho, um Rashford there's it's the it's the richest position we have so it, it depends which way you go I think James Ward-Prowse might make make more of a realistic option. I think given what Jordan Henderson, as I say, has been out for some, some time, you need more of a, you know, a straightforward central midfielder to come into the squad if Trent Alexander-Arnold is out. But I also think, I, I hate to say it, you know, his pressing stats, James Ward-Prowse, the fact that he hasn't missed a game for two seasons, his consistency with his injuries means that if you're going to bring him as the 26th man, you know, I just think... You need someone that's that reliable and he fits into that category. Um, but it would be devastating news for Trent Alexander-Arnold if he's out as, as well. Johnny, do you have a view on who might come in? James Ward-Prowse is the the most sensible option. Uh, I think one thing that, that concerns me is how England have lost effectiveness at set pieces, uh, which was such a big part of the Russia's success. And um, they just haven't been haven't been good for the last couple of years. James Ward-Prowse does offer that set piece delivery. Um, part of me would just like to see Gareth really stubbornly call in Aaron Wan-Bissaka, Kyle Walker-Peters, just to prove that he really <laughs> is committed to the four right back idea. But he's probably not that kind of manager. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, but I, I think it's an important decision. It may well be an important decision come the end of the tournament. But I think if it is Jesse Lingard or James Ward-Prowse, that they're getting good experience and good quality coming into the squad. Um, just looking ahead to the final warm-up game for England against Romania at Wembley on Sunday, Jonathan, do you think we will see as, as close to what England's first choice 11 will be for the game against Croatia on, on Sunday? Or do you think it will be, again, rotation and fitness and trying to get games? I think he has to try and settle that team down, as I, as I said at the start of this, that he needs to get some kind of clarity and stability. You, you know, you'd, you'd want the team that's going to play against Croatia to play together at least once, you know, um, and I think that's what he's got to try and go for. He's got to get Jordan Henderson on the pitch. Um, it was a bit of a concern that a, a, a tweak stopped him um, from, from playing. He'll need to bring the Chelsea and Man City players in. Um, and I guess try and get as close to that 
that start in 11 um, against Croatia as possible. But um, injuries might just, you know, injuries might just mean that he, 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 he can't do that as much as he'd like, which goes back to the fact that why are we so close to the tournament um, without having had those sort of proper rehearsals? Um, so yeah, I, I think I think I think it'll be I think it'll be a better game. I think that it'd be fascinating for Gareth if he brings in, let's say, he brings back in Sterling and and or Rashford, and and they don't perform. I think he's got a real dilemma then because he also needs to he needs to get minutes for people like Henderson. And he needs to get form for for Sterling or Rashford. The other thing for me, Tom Roddy, is that if Harry Maguire and it doesn't look like he will be playing in that first game of the Euros is not available, then I think Gareth Southgate's going to change his system. So on Sunday, do we expect to see the 3-4-3 again? And in which case, what will that mean for the tournament? Yeah, uh, it's it's Croatia, isn't it, the first game? Um, and I just wonder, I know, <laughs> I know they, they were in the final um, three years ago, but a lot of that was was to do with Mandzukic. I think they could get away with with sticking with a back four in the opening game, and I think consistency, if possible, consistency would be the best way to go forward. I think changing systems constantly throughout a group stage would be would, wouldn't be great for them. Um, I think they do need to to stick with something. Uh, interestingly, I think it was in the lead up to 2018, the, the two warm up games, I think, were Nigeria and Costa Rica, and Southgate played his most like uh, mo- played the team that started all those most of those games in the in the um, actually at the competition in Russia in the first game and then pl- rested them for the second game. That's that was a little bit of a, a luxury. I mean, this season the injuries, the ending of the season hasn't allowed for that this year. But I think we will see. I think we'll see at least a moment of experiment with the three at the back to see how that how that feels, how it works, what they can do with it. it I, I actually think it's it's who he picks to play in front of the back three, which is really important as well. Does he does he go for a Calvin Phillips, who's who's probably the most defensive minded, uh, and then who's the partner alongside him there? It, it, the problem is if you play a back three, it then impacts all the way forward. Um, so I. I th- I think he needs to kind of stick with that back four. Not if you do it right, Tom. Not if you do it right. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say about that. We will discuss exactly how England gets on against Romania. But I've got to say, Croatia, by the way, the first game, they drew with Armenia in their first warm-up game. So maybe we shouldn't read too much into the warm-up games. But, you know, that's our job. We'll be discussing it on Monday, as well as the other games for Wales and Scotland. They are up next on the Game Podcast. Um, Also, remember, of course, if you're enjoying the Game Podcast, to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, you can also subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times right now. If you do, you will get yourself one month free. Go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game, and you can subscribe across all of your devices. Up next, I'll be talking Wales and Scotland while Johnny and Tom take a well-deserved rest. Stay with us on the game. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. 
That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Wales had a difficult night in Nice. They had to play more than an hour with 10 men after Liverpool's Nico Williams got a straight red card and that aided a 3-0 win for the world champions, France. Let's speak to Gary Jacob. He'll be with the Wales camp for Euro 2020 for the times, of course. Uh, Gary, how are you? Good morning. Yeah, very well. How are you? I'm good. I watched a lot of this Wales game as I'll be in Azerbaijan next week and I needed to do a little bit of research. And it was... (laughs) It was the worst type of preparation, but in a sadistic way, maybe it was quite a good way of sharpening the players up. How did you see it? Yeah, obviously, he uh, the, the sending off changed the game plan for, for both teams, really. It didn't really help France in terms of having a proper opposition, and then it didn't help Wales because they're expending a lot of energy chasing chasing around. Um, and, and obviously, once Nico went off, um, and it was quite a harsh um, dismissal, they um, the, the attacking threat um, it, it kind of vanished. They looked they, they looked a little bit up at the start. They looked like they could they could Dan James could get beyond France and could cause quite a few problems. And obviously he had the, he had the chance early on and he had a chance late on when Ramsey fed him through. Um, so if if they'd gone if they had the full eleven, I think they, they certainly would have created a lot more chances. Um, but, but Wales tend to, against the bigger teams, like to sit in and play on a counter-attack. So I guess in some sense it was a, quite a good preparation for some of the games they've got coming up in terms of the shape and the resilience and, and trying to keep it tight. Um, obviously, France got an amazing attack um, and, and, and that wasn't going to be, be possible. Um, I think the other thing about the Wales team last night is quite a few of the players wouldn't have had many minutes towards the end of the season for various clubs. Quite a lot of them aren't the first choice for their clubs. People like Danny Ward um, and others um, are um, just don't get that many minutes. So that's probably from that perspective, it was good to for, for quite a few of those players to kind of get a proper run out. And obviously good that Ramsey had some minutes on the pitch because he's had various injuries um, for Juventus this season. Uh, and, and ended the season with a slight injury, so that that's that's the positives. Um, the the formation was interesting. Um, I think Rob Page after said that um, he was going to start with a wing back system and then changed it once he saw France's system and then pushed Nico Williams into a midfield, which didn't really make sense to us because I think most people assumed France would play a diamond system. So we wondered whether. Actually, his game plan is looking ahead to Switzerland a week on Saturday and thinking that he might use Nico Williams to um, to look at uh, to try to do some sort of role on, on Shakiri, and it was a kind of tester for that to see whether he kind of do it because Wells essentially under under Rob Page have, have switched to a wing back system with, with a force nine, so it's a um, a, a three four three and um, either Dan James up top or on the left or, or Bale up top and they they, they switch around. Um, but last night they went to a four at the back, which was which was not what they've they've done. Um, so I think that all points to, to testing things against Switzerland. The Switzerland, the first game in the group will be. I mean, that's going to be pivotal. It's a bit like two thousand and sixteen. Really, this is a much more difficult group than then, but. Um, Getting a result against Switzerland gives them a chance of going through. Not getting a result puts them really on the back foot, and then followed by Turkey and Italy. And, and Turkey have proved in, in recent months they're they're a decent team, and obviously Italy on, on home soil. 
Um, so um, the Switzerland game really is, is is massive for Wales. There was, a, a, I guess, a cohort of, of Wales players who helped get them to the semi-final in 2016. Not quite all of those players still available, but some of the older, more experienced players, the mm-hmm. likes of Gareth Bale, still there. He was on the pitch last night. And he started towards the end of the season to get some form back. What did you make of his performance? Because, of course, it ended up being very much, you know, with backs against the wall. For a player like him, that's not where you want to see him used. But physically, did you see enough to think that we might expect some some big things from him on the biggest stage once again? Well, I, th- I thought he was very quiet last night. I mean, he hardly got the ball and, and hardly had, you know, had any opportunities. But, but as you say, he, he ended the season... Um, well and he's made the point that he needed a run of games to kind of get rhythm and get fitness and 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 in the end of the season with 16 goals it's not on paper it's not a bad return I mean I I don't think anyone should think he's the player he was five years ago because he's not and um through injuries and and other things and he's also he's a different type of player on the pitch as he was then um his game has slightly changed and he's he's certainly not the player that he was at, at Spurs 10 years ago um but I think there's, there's. I, th- I felt like last night he wasn't. He was. He was making sure he wasn't going to get injured. He was making sure he wasn't going to do too much. And and once they went to ten, I don't think. I think it was. It felt like he wasn't going to expand, expend the type of energy really, um, especially when they, they're going to need him. So um, I think w- once 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 the tournament starts and see whether what the, the attacking quartet are going to be because. Ramsey's played only played one of the last eleven um, Wales games through it because of injury, and to see how um, Rob Page balances up Ramsey, um, Dan James, Bale, Brooks, um, Kiefer Moore, and how he how he kind of uses all of those, um, and whether he persists with the false nine, which he seems, then you get an idea perhaps about where Bell would fit in, and he's tended to want to play wide right, and last night he was more up top and. Um, I think probably w- when they actually start, it might be James up top, right, uh, James on the left, um, uh, maybe Bale on the right, and then someone else up top. Um, but Rob Page has moved away from using Kiefer Moore as a target man, and and strangely, sort of, the, 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 they started a false nine at the start of the qualifying campaign under Giggs, but then it wasn't. It worked for one game against Ireland, um, and then and then essentially. It didn't work, uh, and they moved to Kiefer Moore as a target man to play off, which is something that um, similar to what Coleman had done under, in his team as having a target man, and and it worked, and they qualified. But Rob Page has kind of now gone on a slightly different route, um, and, and and it's interesting going that route as well because if you play people like, like players like Dan James, um, Ramsey, Brooks, they're not particularly tall players, so suddenly your team is. And you've got Joe Allen in there. He's not particularly tall. So you've suddenly got a lot of players, if you're trying to defend set pieces, who aren't very tall. So that's probably also a consideration they need to think about. Um, what they, in Ben Davis, a left-back, he's not particularly tall. So there, there, there are a number of things they're going to need to, to, to think about. Um, but I, I think you made a good point. It's a very different team to 2016. 2016's team were quite settled, and they were settled over the campaign. And... They had a style of play which was three four two one with Baylor Ramsey in behind the striker, and it, and everyone knew they were going to play that system, but they knew how to play it better than everyone else, and and so it worked, and they were solid and they were compact, and they had a lot of more and more Premier League players, and they had more 
perhaps experienced players. This squad is very different. You've got the older ones like Bernard Ramsey, and then you've got a lot of younger ones like Nico Williams, um, who are coming through and Purdue. But you don't have so many players in the centre in in that middle range, grey age range, say 26, 27, 28, who experienced it as the as the bridge. Um, and it's, it feels a, a lot more of a kind of slightly transition squad to to, to the future. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they get on because, and also a lot of this squad, as I mentioned already, have not don't get games for the clubs, um, and that's that's quite a big thing. It's not like the England squad where all twenty three players pretty much are starters. It's it's very different for this squad. So. Um, that that that's going to be a, a factor as well. And other than the other thing to remember is that this squad also has a lot of championship players. I think people forget that um, when you go outside of England, a lot of, sort of the other home nations draw on players from the lower leagues. Um, and certainly the Welsh squad obviously does. How do you think the manager then, Rob Page, copes with this weekend, a home game against Albania in the final warm-up? Because he knows... Firstly, that his players worked very hard against France, but then have a long trip to Azerbaijan ahead of that yeah. first match against Switzerland. Do, do you think it will be very much fringe players now? I, I think so. And probably the ones who didn't uh, didn't get a game yesterday will, will get a game. Um, he Wayne Hennessy has been a number one throughout well, 10 years or more. So he has lost his place through injury early in the season. And then now it looks like Rob Page has decided that Danny Ward is his number one. But I'd imagine that Hennessy will get a game on Saturday just so perhaps Page can make his final decision. And then you'd probably expect some of the other defenders who... Um, to, so for example, someone like Tom Lockyer, who didn't, who who couldn't travel yesterday because he rejoined the squad on Sunday because of James Lawrence's injury, he might get a game, and there'll be a couple of others who will get a game. Um, who just um, probably Joe Allen will probably get a few more minutes because he he was out for a fair bit of time um, since March with, with an injury for his club. So uh, I, I'd imagine there'll be some of them who would need the minutes, and there'll be others who who would just get. A, a bit of a rest and as you say they they, they travel on monday it's a probably six seven hour direct flight uh, plus a three hour time difference um, I, and we assume they're going to be on local time um, um because they're there for so long but that that's not that's perhaps not a given because when certainly i know when chelsea have been there in the past they stayed on english time because they were only there for a champions league game and they decided that was an easier way of coping with the four-hour time difference um but you'd imagine wells need to flick into the to the local time and they're going to be training out in the afternoon in azerbaijan um and obviously they've got the two games there before going on to to to, to rome We'll talk Scotland next. They drew 2-2 with the Netherlands, missing a number of key players. Um, it, it took a late Memphis to pie free kick to rescue a draw for the Dutch. That surprised a few. Michael Grant was out in Portugal. He's just about to get his flight home. Michael, how are you? Thank you. Yeah, thanks. No problem. You, of course, will be covering the, the Scotland squad during Euro 2020. And last night, you have to say, a few of those fringe players really did put their hands up for inclusion. What did you make of the game? Yeah, I think Scotland were very pleased and very satisfied with how it went after the uh, the upheaval of losing half a dozen players uh, or volunteering voluntarily losing half a dozen players because um, they didn't test positive. They weren't even close contacts of John Fleck, who did return a, neg- a, a positive COVID test. So for Scotland to perform so uh, competently 
against the uh, against the Dutch and, and you know come within a couple of minutes of beating them for the first time in eighteen years it was pretty impressive really and you could see it on on Steve Clark's reaction afterwards he was very satisfied with how it went. There was a freedom, I thought, to Scotland's approach. Like the weight was off their shoulders having qualified for this competition. Did you feel that way as well? Yeah, I think it's one of the things I'm noticing about the team at the moment. There's a real... Fun might be putting it too strongly, but I think there's a great <laughs> a great belief and um, confidence. You know, this, this is uncharted territory for these players, um, given that it's 23 years since we were at a tournament, and and I think um, I think they're enjoying being part of this setup. Um, you know, they're a confident side. They're hard working. They're pretty well organised. Um, they, they they got the first goal last night from from pressing high up the pitch, which was something that Clark had told the players to get into before the match. So, um, you know, it, 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 it's not random, it's not fluky. You know, there is a there is a game plan here that Clark is imposing. And obviously, we didn't see the full team last night, but there's talent in this side. You know, Andy Robertson, Kieran Tierney, Scott McTominay, John McGinn. These are guys that are, that are um, uh, you know, important figures for, for a club size in the English Premier League. I think there is talent in this Scotland squad. I think they might be one of the surprise packages of Euro 2020. The formation was very, very solid. We've seen it before. I think it still worked well without some of the big names in the squad. Luxembourg to come on Sunday. Will they, if they can, Scotland, go absolutely full strength? We're not sure yet. Obviously, things were kind of um, thrown up in the air by the team having to be so radically different yesterday, uh, last night. Um, uh, Scotland should have too much for Luxembourg, although you know they are a stronger side by their standards than they've been for a while. They beat Ireland and Dublin in the World Cup qualifier. Um, so Scotland's main aim really is get through the game, play well, no injuries. If they avoid defeat, it's five unbeaten, which is you know not bad for Scottish for Scottish form. Um, and um, Steve Clark, I think you know, fearful like all managers are at the moment of COVID, and the, any developments at any point can suddenly throw a real spanner in the works. But um, Scotland are well placed just now. I'm sure we're going to be speaking about it next week. But just finally, your confidence around this Scotland side. Listen, I am always cynical and downbeat and negative <laughs> about Scotland because I've just seen it too many times. I've I've, I've been on too many uh, on too many failures over the years. But I, I do like the look of the Scotland team. I like the manager. Um, I think there's real talent there and there's belief. And I, I think it's perfectly reasonable for them to to look and talk about getting out of the group for the first time, which is what which is the kind of tone and message that's coming from the squad, is that it's not just about qualifying for the tournament anymore, and the, and the, and the you know the, the euphoria that's been around that. Now it's about doing more than that and getting out of the group. Michael Grant, I will let you go as I know you're at the boarding gate, but thank you for taking the time uh, to join us on the game podcast. So that is the international football wrapped up. Um, My thanks to Gary Jacob, Jonathan Northcroft and Michael Grant as well, who we just heard from. Um, But we have to talk, Tom Roddy, about what is happening in the Premier League, I think, during this summer. There could be some big moves, but there have already been some managerial changes to discuss. Well, certainly departures. Carlo Ancelotti has left Everton. 
That leaves a huge hole at the club because he was the man, the great name to come in and take them to greater things. And they, of course, finished mid-table, 10th in the Premier League this year. It was a poor season for Tottenham Hotspur. They, of course, sacked Jose Mourinho a while ago. But it is being reported that Antonio Conte, fresh from leaving Inter Milan, could make a shock move to North London. We'll, we'll come to Conte and Spurs in a second. But firstly, Tom, this hole at Everton, What's, what sort of manager needs to come in after Carlo Ancelotti? Because I think this departure has shown that maybe he was the wrong man in terms of the profile. Someone that goes to a club for a couple of seasons, two, maximum three. Maybe what Everton need now with all these huge ambitions and the, the new great stadium that will come is get a manager who firstly is there for the long haul, but has the potential to turn them into something great as well. Maybe rise with their career the same way that, that Everton need to rise as well. I think with Ancelotti, he... His greatest asset was being a manager who could who could deal with egos and manage expectation and and get those best the, the best players on the planet performing uh, all together in a unit at Everton. And this isn't this isn't intended to be any disrespect towards any Everton players, but when when you've got Mason Holgate at centre back. Um, uh, Michael Keane. Um, there are there are players there who are, are aren't on that level, and he his his target was to to transcend what Everton had done in the past to to bring them up into the top six, and and I think I do think the pandemic affected it. They showed real ambition by bringing in Decore and bringing in James Rodriguez, but it was a season that really pilt, uh, petered out um, and ended up being a bit of a disappointment. I, I I don't remember being that thrilled by watching Everton that much. Uh, so I, uh, in the end, I, I do think it was a little bit of an underwhelming appointment and a little bit of a. Uh, really a bit of a failure I suppose mm-hmm. um, um, I'm afraid to say and, and in terms of a replacement the, 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 the irony is in this in this summer in which there seems to be a nostalgic desire to return to clubs with Angelotti going back to Real Madrid Pochettino talking for oh, well, not publicly but talking about this idea of going back to Tottenham I actually feel like the perfect man to have taken that role would be David Moyes, but I don't think he would right now. I think he he maybe washed his hands of that and it would be the wrong, absolutely the wrong time to leave West Ham because he's got a good thing there at the moment. Why do you think he's the right man to go back? Because he tends to get, I mean, the, the players they've got in that side... He, he seems to he seems to be able to get the most the most out of players who are just below that level, and he seems to get players in a system which is 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 pretty uh, pretty sort of simple in a way. Um, but he tends to he's a good motivator, and I just think that team almost has elements of the one he had when he was most successful there you know Dominic Calvert-Lewin is would would he would be a 
perfect strike of a David Moyes. When, when you look back to the, the, the days of Marouane and Fellaini and what he did under him. And I think that is also what Everton need to look at a little bit. I mean, their, their prize asset right now is Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He's, he is the one to, who can take them forward. And when you look back over the years at the strikers they've had with Romelu Lukaku and Duncan Ferguson, um, going back to sort of even Andy Gray, the, the great Everton teams have had those big strikers, big target men. So actually the one I, I would I would like to see given the opportunity is is Sean Dyche because it's 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 a significant jump for him I think it's a club where he would get opportunities um, that he has not had at Burnley in the the last summer the biggest the record signing last summer was Dale Stevens for one and a half million pounds he would he I think he would he would really thrive on working and having those opportunities at a club like Everton. Do you, do, you think, do you think that could work, Hugh, or who do you think would be best for it? I don't know if Dice plays the football, with all due respect to the quality of the football at Burnley, which isn't bad, by the way, um, that I think the Everton fans would get behind. You know, I think they think that there is a possibility of going to become a top six side. They've seen what someone like Brendan Rodgers has done for Leicester City and they think probably the, the, the quickest route to doing that is bringing someone in who's going to play good football. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying Sean Dice is going to play bad football, but I'm not sure he's going to play top six football. And how long would it take for him to grow into a top six manager? That being said, I'm not against the idea of Steven Gerrard, which I know people have said, okay, the Liverpool connection is there. Would Everton fans accept it? But I think he is, as clearly you can see, an emerging manager. Maybe now is a, maybe a season or two too soon for him. And again, another manager who isn't famed for his football, but I think would also do a great job building Everton, also has a Liverpool connection, is Rafa Benitez, um, and who I think, by the way, several Premier League clubs have been calling out for for a while. I agree with you. Like Moyes, he has an he has an element of getting more from his group of players than you would expect, and and maybe players who are just beneath the level that whichever club he's been at, you know, if they're a what you might consider a, a mid table group of players, he can get them top six possibly. You know, if you consider them to be maybe a top six group of players, he's there fighting for the top four. You know, he always seems to be you know, several places above in terms of the quality of his side where you think the group of players maybe are. So um, I, I do think the one thing Everton should avoid is another glitzy name. Um, and that's no dis disrespect to Everton. What I mean is someone who I think will be thinking of leaving. Someone who sees Everton as um, not necessarily a stepping, tone, stepping stone, but a stopgap in their career. And I think maybe Carlo Ancelotti thought, well, I'm at a loose end. They're giving me a quite a bit of money. Let's go to Everton. You know, they need someone that's, that sort of values the role and values the club a lot, you know, and I think, I'm not saying he approached the job in the wrong way, but as soon as Real Madrid came calling, he was gone, you know, and maybe that's, that, maybe that's, you know, would be the same for any manager. I don't know, but I think definitely they need someone who's going to feel rooted. And I know Jamie Carragher's there been talking about Rafa Benitez because of his fact that he, you know, he lives in a local area. He's very rooted. He probably wouldn't want to leave that job anytime soon. I, I tend to agree with that. And also, of course, Steven Gerrard, who, again, is rooted in the local area. Maybe that's why I'm thinking romantically about those two. Sean Dyche, for me, it's just, 
I would have hoped that after five seasons, Burnley would have progressed a little bit more. You know, if he was a manager who had that tactical nous of play, a different style of football, they may have gone in that direction by now. You know, it was very much... But don't you must- need the tools to do that? I mean, when you think... I, 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 how, I don't many, think so. how many Premier League teams would 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 Chris Wood get into? I mean, Mate Vidra was playing for Reading. Yeah, but listen, he's he been manager of that club long enough that he has players that, that fit his style. You know, he's been responsible for all of those signings. It's not like he's managing a different group of players. Okay, he hasn't spent big money, fair enough, and he's had to cut his cloth accordingly. But in terms of the style of the players that he has at the club, it's very much players that he wants. You know, you can't he, he can point the finger and say that the players in his squad aren't players of a profile that he would have liked. You know, they're, they're ones that he signed. So um, the thing is, you look at someone like Brighton, and again, I'm not saying Graham Potter is a better manager than Sean Dyche, but I'm talking about the ambition to play with that style of football that I think Everton would want. That I'm not saying Graham Potter should take the job either, by the way, but I'm just saying... That is what I would have hoped to see from Sean Dyche by now for me to be thinking that he's going to be a top eight manager. Because I do think if you're not going to spend big money, then you need to have a a real good style of football to be in that top six, top four conversation. Didn't you say Sam Allardyce would be a good England manager? Because yeah, because of how because of how basic it would be, you know, it's very for me. It's very different. International management is very different to club management. Make it more simple for the players in international football. I think you're more likely to get good results. But over 38 games, I think you have to have something different, particularly if you're going to get into that top six, top four picture. And that's really what I'm referring to. I don't think any of these guys are bad managers. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be running the clubs that they're running, but I think Everton need a particular profile in terms of that mixture of style and an element of wanting to be at Everton. doesn't matter whether they're British or not, but just valuing the, the club and valuing that role. I'm really interested to see what Everton do next because I think it's a massive, massive decision. Uh, and the same is true of Tottenham Hotspur, to be perfectly honest, because they were a club that was meant to be winning trophies this season. Uh, Jose Mourinho was meant to take them into the Champions League and it was a foregone conclusion, particularly when it came to my pre-season prediction, which I thought, you know, they definitely would be in the top four. I was totally wrong. And Jose Mourinho was the wrong man for Tottenham Hotspur, which means that there are alarm bells ringing right now, Tom, that Antonio Conte, the former Chelsea boss, who's just won the league with Inter Milan, he's now available, would be joining up with Daniel Levy at Tottenham Hotspur. Can you see this one working out? And also, what happened to this story that Pochettino might be going back? You can picture the divorce before even thinking of the honeymoon with Conte and Levy, can't you? It's just, it's a, it's a disaster waiting to happen in a way. Um, but only the, the, the problem is, uh, look at Antonio Conte. And he's such a combative character. He's not one. He's the total opposite of, of the kind of coach who can manage up because he says, this is what I want. Give it to me. And if he doesn't get it, then he's not happy. And, and you can sort of see why. I mean, I remember the year he won the league with Chelsea First of all, that year he played, he came in and he played the system that Mourinho had played for a few games. He didn't want to, but he played the system that Mourinho played for a few games. And he 
they went to Arsenal were three nil down at half time, and he said, "This is how I want to play." And he he brought in that three at the back. I'm sure you'll remember well. And from then on, they were just a totally different side. And and he described himself as a, a tailor, the tailor of the King's Road, who had to find the perfect suit for his team. And that's what he's great at. He's he's a fantastic coach. He's a fantastic tactician. Um, he, he's got a brilliant footballing mind, and he's a he's a, he's a very good motivator. Even though he can fall out with players as well, we saw we saw that with Diego Costa at Chelsea. So so he's he just to me he actually seems if he comes in he seems like another short term solution to Tottenham that might work out well for a little bit but he's not going to be there in four years time you can you can pretty much guarantee he's not going to be there in four years time and that goes completely against what Daniel Levy has been saying you know he talked about them losing their DNA over the last year and and getting a return to attacking, entertaining football. And basically, without naming Mauricio Pochettino, that we want to coach in the mould of Mauricio Pochettino. And Conte is pretty much the opposite of that in many ways he he is he's not going to he's not going to build something gradually and slowly and have that kind of patience that is not a word that you would associate with Antonio Conte uh, and and that's what's needed um there, there's also an interesting situation here in the it sounds like Conte has been told that he's been lured in with the promise that that Harry Kane will be staying and um, wow, if if that doesn't happen, it it starts. It's the the, the marriage starts with a, a an argument. First of all, <laughs> uh, look, I think it would be a huge appointment for Tottenham Hotspur. But again, uh, just in the same way I spoke about Everton, I think Spurs need a manager that's really going to value that job. You know, you look at Antonio Conte's history: Juventus, Chelsea, Inter Milan. You know, title wins. What are Tottenham Hotspur going to offer him in the transfer market or as an, an approach to winning trophies that he isn't going to be tempted to go elsewhere if he does a good job? And, and the job comes up at Real Madrid or, or Paris Saint-Germain, you know, a chance to go and win the European Cup. They need a manager. Once again, I think they need a manager who, like Pochettino, at least five years at the club, someone who wants to build something because firstly, there needs to be huge changes to the current squad that they have. That's going to take time take time particularly given the pandemic and also they need to attract star quality and that's going to take time it's not like they're going to go out in one window and buy four top players Tottenham Hotspur just they don't operate like that right now so whoever comes in is probably three seasons away from having a really good team in my opinion particularly if Harry Kane goes might be even longer doesn't Antonio Conte really want that and if it's about the money I just think clubs in the Premier League need to be careful now. You know, virtually all of them are paying more money dismissing managers than, than actually having managers work for them. And Tottenham just don't need to be in that 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 pot again, given what's happened with Jose Mourinho. Um, but again, I, I'm not sure who the right man for Tottenham Hotspur is. There's a part of me that says Graham Potter might be good. I, I don't know why. I just think it's the style of football. I don't know about Scott Parker. There might be bigger names, more experienced names out there. 
um, who can come in and do a job as well. I'm not against Jurgen Klinsmann, by the way, because he's a legend. But um, but I, I just I just don't know if Antonio Conte fits, and that's the same worry, the exact same worry that I had when Jose Mourinho came into the club. You know, culturally, it wasn't right. And as a Manchester United fan, I think about Jose when he went to to United. I think about Louis Van Gaal as well, and I do think. Mauricio Pochettino got Spurs and that is why they did so well under him and that is why the fans had such a great relationship with him and that's the thing that they need to get towards once again because if you're not going to spend the big money you're not going to be one of those clubs that goes out and splurges there needs to be something else this is football there needs to be something else that gives people that enjoyment at the club and gets people excited about Tottenham Hotspur might be a style of football um, but again, look, Antonio Conte will do a good job, but I agree with you, Tom Roddy. It's a short-term appointment if it is him. So I guess that means I get the final word on this week's game podcast. Uh, my thanks to Tom Roddy, Jonathan Northcroft, Gary Jacob, and Michael Grant. Remember, we've got plenty more to come. We'll be looking at, back at the final preparations for Euro 2020 on Monday. Um, of course, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. You won't miss any of our great content coming over the next few weeks of this action that we've got for you. But also remember our award-winning journalism on the Times and the Sunday Times as well. So if you want to subscribe there, go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to get started. We will see you on Monday. Listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. 